Danielle looked at the songs I had chosen this morning. She saw 83 and she said, that's a Christmas song. And I said, yeah, but it's a great song that we seem to sing around Christmas. It's a song that actually declares the coming of Emmanuel, our Savior. And I just like Rejoice, Rejoice, Oh Emmanuel. So we're going to sing that even though it's August. And if you just feel like giving each other gifts, let's <laughs> sing.
I probably have way too much material this morning. I will try to pare it down. But this morning, we're going to talk about wisdom. So I suppose you would be wise to listen. We'll find out who the unwise are. Here is the Greek word. Sophia. You oftentimes will hear Sophia referred to as even a goddess. In Greco-Roman culture, Sophia was the goddess of wisdom. And in Greco-Roman culture, there was a very high standard placed on wisdom in the pursuit of the perfect man in Greek culture, intelligence, as well as physicality, as well as wisdom, were thought of as very high standards. You might remember Paul saying that the Jews seek a sign, but that the Greeks look for wisdom. So this concept of wisdom really permeates the Bible. Everywhere that you look, Old and New Testament, there is this concept of wisdom. We're not talking about salvation here, and we're not really talking about faith here. We're talking about the ability to make good decisions. We're talking about the ability to look at the world such as it is and recognize God's presence in the world and to recognize how things are moving according to God's divine purpose and God's divine plan. That kind of wisdom, that kind of insight, that kind of intelligence only comes from God. And that is the next thing that James is going to bring up. So since we're in the book of James, you can start this morning by turning to 1 Kings. Because that's really where we're going to start this morning. Platonism, Gnosticism, Hellenistic philosophy, Hellenistic religion was very, very big into wisdom. In fact, the concept of sophiology is a philosophical concept that's still around to this very day. It's the philosophical concept of wisdom. In Orthodox and Roman Catholic Christianity, they speak a lot about Hagia Sophia, the holy wisdom, the wisdom that comes from God. Now, when it comes to the Septuagint for just a moment, because we were just talking about the Septuagint, weren't we? No, nobody was talking about the Septuagint. When it comes to the Septuagint, which is the Greek rendering of the Old Testament that was around in the first century, the Greek noun Sophia was used to translate Hebrew words that had to do with wisdom. One of those is chakma, and it has to do with the ability to rightly discern things. And you find wisdom books in the Old Testament written by Solomon because Solomon was reputed to have the greatest wisdom, the greatest God-given wisdom. And we're going to start in 1 Kings to look at how it was that Solomon came by that wisdom. It is a gift from God. So when you get to James chapter 1, verse 5, and you see him say, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, James was not just making that up out of whole cloth. He didn't just come up with that concept. It actually is all the way through the Old Testament, that genuine wisdom is a God-given gift. The same way that faith is a gift, the same way that repentance is a gift, the same way that salvation and redemption are a gift, 
all of these are the graces of God that are given to people. And I think sometimes we don't recognize fully that even our ability to think right about God is a gift from God. If God didn't give us the gift to think rightly about him, none of us would. We'd be making up stuff. If you want evidence of that, look at all the man-made religions that are in the world and look at the stuff they've made up. And you'll find that it doesn't resemble the God of the Bible. The real God, the heavenly God, the God who made heaven and earth, that God has to tell you about himself. And so he's in the enterprise of telling us about himself through his word. And if you understand his word aright, and if you understand God, if you understand God's personality, God's way of being, the way that God represents himself, if you have any concept of that, that falls under the heading of wisdom. You now have a wisdom that mankind doesn't have. Now, mankind generally, without God, think they're pretty smart. They think they're pretty wise. They think they're pretty clever. But God is going to confound the wisdom of the wise because only God-given wisdom actually matters. In the end, it doesn't matter how much fleshly wisdom, how much human wisdom, how much philosophical wisdom, doesn't matter how much of that you've collected, only God's wisdom is going to continue eternally. So he is the all-wise, all-knowing, all-holy God If you have any knowledge of God, it's because he has shared some of that wisdom with you. So when we talk about wisdom, we're talking about God-given ability to make good decisions, to discern what's really going on, and to understand why God and how God is operating in the world. Does that make sense? Now... In the first century, from roughly 25 BC to about 50 AD, there was a historian, a Jewish historian, and his name was Philo. And Philo tried to harmonize Greek or Platonic versions of wisdom. He tried to harmonize it with the biblical concept of wisdom. And so Philo sort of introduced a concept of wisdom, a word for wisdom that was a Greek word that meant to demonstrate wisdom. Philo introduced the word logos into Old Testament thinking and Old Testament teaching. You've often heard me say that logos is the demonstration of intelligence through spoken word. Well, that's the word that he grabbed and said wisdom can be defined or identified as this logos word. So now you get the New Testament Greek platonic concept of logos knowledge combined with the Old Testament concept of wisdom. You even see that at the beginning of the book of John when John identifies Christ as the word, as the logos. And so this concept of Greco-Roman platonic philosophical wisdom even has influence on the New Testament writers. But this morning, I want to go back to the original Jewish thinking about what wisdom is, where wisdom comes from, what comprises wisdom, what does God think wisdom is, and then we'll understand it when James says, if you lack wisdom, 
ask God. Because that's actually an end statement. That's something James has said because he's familiar with the wisdom literature. It's something James has said because he has this entire history of Hebrew wisdom concepts. So when he says that, it's almost like a, a closing statement. But if we just dive into the book of James and say, oh, James says, if any lack wisdom, then we're not going to understand what wisdom is in James's mind. So today we're going to look at the concept of wisdom. And that's why we're back in 1 Kings. Thus ends the introduction. And it does count against my time because it, it's kind of warm. So. 1 Kings chapter 3, everybody turn there. In the long run, you're not going to be able to keep up with everything that I'm referencing this morning, but 1 Kings is a long portion that we're going to read together, so everybody turn there. We are going to start at 1 Kings 3, verse 5. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night, and the Lord said, Ask what you wish me to give you. Then Solomon said, Thou hast shown great loving kindness to thy servant David, my father, according as he walked before thee in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward thee. And thou hast reserved for him this great loving kindness, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king in place of my father David, yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out and to come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people which thou hast chosen, a great people who cannot be numbered or counted for multitude. So give thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, to discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of thine. That is the very beginning concept of what wisdom is. Solomon, who had the opportunity to ask for anything, he could have asked for kingdoms, he could have asked for women, he could have asked for horses, he could have asked for multitudes of riches. Instead, what he asked is, give me a good mind, give me the ability to understand and judge your people and to discern what's right, what's good. That's the very beginning of the wisdom that God is going to give him, starting at verse 10. It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice, behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart, so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that there will not be among the kings any like you all your days." And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, 
then I will prolong your days. So he asked, give me the ability to understand. Give me a good heart to judge your people. Help me to discern between good and evil. Help me to be a good king, a good judge. God put that under the heading of wisdom. I'm going to give you the wisdom that you have asked for. I'm going to make you wise and discerning. If you go on in 1 Kings to chapter 4, starting at verse 29, you begin to see the outgrowth of that. 1 Kings 4.29 says, Now God gave Solomon wisdom. So where did Solomon get the wisdom? From God. So God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind. So the intelligence, the breadth of mind, falls under the heading of wisdom, the ability to judge, to discern, to have a discerning mind, have great discernment, it says here, falls under the heading of wisdom. And Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezraite, Heman, Calcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol, and his fame was known in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke, because he was so wise, because God had given him all this discernment and intelligence and knowledge, for that reason, he spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. And he spoke of trees, from the cedar that is in Lebanon, even to the hyssop that grows on the wall. He spoke also of animals and birds and creeping things and fish. And men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth who had heard about his wisdom. So now we're getting an expansion on what wisdom is. He had a knowledge of animals. He had a wisdom about trees. He had the ability to know what was in the hearts of men, and he also knew how to react, how to respond to the things of God. All of that falls under the category of wisdom. So like I said a minute ago, it's different than faith. It's different than salvation, And it's kind of different than intelligence because there are intelligent people in the world who you can tell when you talk to them for a while don't know anything about the things of God. So they still don't have biblical wisdom. What they have is intellectual knowledge about stuff, but they're still not wise. Thinking themselves wise, they become fools. 1 Kings chapter 10, 24, you don't have to turn there, says, So King Solomon became greater than all the kings of the earth, greater in riches and greater in wisdom. And all the earth was seeking the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his heart. So the wisdom of Solomon is a wisdom that God gave Solomon. So since he wrote all these Proverbs, And all these songs, I think it's only right that we read some of those, a bit of the Proverbs, a bit of Ecclesiastes, and we're going to see some of the wisdom that Solomon handed down, because it really does cover a wide variety of things. But it all comes down to, even though it's trees, even though it's people, even though it's animals, even though he has a wide berth of understanding of the things of this planet, 
In the end, it's his knowledge of God that separates him from all other wisdom in the world. It's his ability to know what God would have him do that is defined as the wisdom of Solomon. For instance, right at the beginning, Proverbs 1.1, it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, for what reason? To know wisdom and instruction. Okay, so I'm going to share some of my wisdom with you, and because I have this wisdom, I'm going to instruct you, says Solomon. So pay attention to the wisdom that I'm sharing because it will teach you. It's going to instruct you. It's going to bring you along in the things of God. To discern the sayings of understanding. To receive instruction in wise behavior. Righteousness, justice, and equity. Those things all fall under wisdom. If you are instructed in wisdom, you're going to have good behavior. You're going to know the things of righteousness. You're going to understand justice and equity. And then he says to give prudence to the naive. So if there are people who don't understand, then instruction in wisdom is going to bring them along in living a prudent life, making good decisions, having good discernment. And also to the youth, it's going to give knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase his learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel to understand a proverb and a figure and the words of the wise and their riddles. All of that falls under the general category of wisdom. Proverbs 3.13 says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Okay, so now we're understanding a little bit more of what wisdom is. He says wisdom is understanding. Wisdom is being able to see the world as it is, recognize God's hand in it, recognize God's hand in history, recognize God's hand in the future, recognize God's hands in everything that happens in his universe, and then to have an understanding heart of why these things are occurring in the world. Have you ever met anybody, talked to anybody who doesn't really have a biblical worldview, who doesn't have a biblical comprehension? They're all over the internet. You can find them easily. Most of them are commenting on my YouTube videos at this very moment. But if, you, if you've ever seen those people, they don't know what's going on in the world. They can't explain it. I love reading news sites. I have my four or five favorite news sites. And there are certain commentators on the news sites who every day write a new commentary about what's going on, whatever the drama of the day is, whatever the drama of the half day is. The news cycles are so fast, there's new dramas all the time. And they don't even see that they write commentary that is exactly opposite of what they said three or four days ago. Because they don't know what's going on. They're constantly reacting to whatever the drama of the moment is. But they have no overarching biblical worldview. They don't understand the God who's in control. They don't understand the sovereignty of God who is bringing about these things for his purposes. And as a result, they have no grounding in reality. Instead, they have 
all of their opinions based in just simple reaction to whatever the thing of the moment is. But they have no overarching grounding in reality. Why? Because that takes wisdom. And where do you get wisdom? From God. And if you don't have the biblical worldview, if you don't have the gift from God, this world, as it is right now, makes no sense to you. Zero sense. Every day you get up and just go, it's pandemonium out here. What is going on? What is wrong with people? And so then you offer solutions like, love wins. And you think that means something. Or, oh, I tweeted out a thing. Save our girls. There, that fixed it. No, it didn't fix anything. That's no solution to anything. That's an emotional reaction to the thing that's happening at this very moment. Because you don't understand, you don't have the wisdom to be able to comprehend the world that you wake up in every day. So Solomon says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding for the gain from her, from wisdom, is better than the gain from silver, or the profit is better than gold. She, wisdom, is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. Did you hear that? All the paths of wisdom are peace. You can't have peace in this world until you have God-given wisdom. Once you have God-given discernment, wisdom, understanding, suddenly you have what Paul calls the peace that passes understanding. The world can't understand that kind of peace. The world can't understand why we can get up in the midst of chaos and say, it's okay. It's all right. God knows what he's doing. God's got this handled. We have peace because we have the gift of wisdom. She is, says Solomon, a tree of life to those who can lay hold on her. Those who hold on to her fast are called blessed. Proverbs 3.19 says, The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. Okay, now that expands our concept of wisdom again. The knowledge of God that allowed him to just speak things into existence falls under the category in Solomon's mind of wisdom. That God had such extensive knowledge of all things, since all things are made and created by him, since he knew what he was doing and knew what he was going to do from the beginning, since he had that kind of comprehensive knowledge of all things by that wisdom he could then just speak all things into existence that's part of what Solomon considers wisdom now yes it took a great deal of power the power of God to accomplish that but you'll notice that Solomon didn't say by power he created everything Solomon says by wisdom he created everything the Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds 
drop down the do. Notice that he just used knowledge as a synonym for wisdom. So God's all comprehensive, all knowledge of all things is the wisdom that created the world. And he shares some of that completely comprehensive, all-encompassing knowledge with people so that people can have the wisdom to understand what's going on in his creation. That's kind of cool. I'm kind of up for that. (laughs) All right, so another way that we understand the concept of wisdom is that we contrast it, and it is contrasted frequently in the Bible. It's contrasted with foolishness. And the fool is referred to as the direct opposite of the wise man. There's a wise person who understands, who has discernment, who has good judgment, who understands the things of God. And then there's the one who doesn't get it. And the Bible doesn't just say, well, he's lacking wisdom. The Bible says he's a fool. He's a brute beast. He's no better than the cattle because he doesn't have wisdom. For instance, Proverbs 1.7 says, you've heard this a million times, so I hope within this context it'll ring more true to you and you'll have a greater understanding of it. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, in this case, of wisdom in the verse coming up. The beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom is reverence toward God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So what does that tell you about the world's wisdom? Since they have no fear of God, well, then they have no wisdom. They're just being foolish, no matter how clever they think they are, no matter how much they think they comprehend. They're fools in God's eyes because they don't have the fear of the Lord, which is the very beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Okay, there's the contrast. People who don't want godly wisdom, which begins with the fear of the Lord, those people are fools because they hate instruction. Again, go back to people who have no biblical worldview. Go back to people who don't know anything about God. Are they real open to the concept that we Christians are going to teach them something? No. No. They don't want to hear from us. No. Try to go out there and just randomly tell people about Christ. They're not open to that. Oh, yes, tell me more. No, they hate wisdom and they hate instruction. And as a consequence, they're identified by the wisest man in the Old Testament, by Solomon, they are identified as fools because they don't fear God, which is the very beginning of wisdom. And if they don't have the thing that is the very beginning, then they're clearly fools. And they hate instruction. They hate wisdom. Proverbs 9 says, give instruction to a wise man and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. Verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Did you get that? 
the knowledge of the holy, the knowledge of God, the fear of God, and the knowledge of heavenly things, of God's holiness, his otherness, his separateness, his righteousness, the comprehension that we are sinners, we are worms in front of an ultimately holy and just God, that kind of knowledge is the beginning of understanding. In other words, you can understand how to build a box girder bridge. I just picked that one randomly as something I don't know. I know nothing about building box girder bridges. You can know how to build a pyramid. You can know anything. How math works. I don't know how math works. I don't know. Now that the bank balances my checkbook, my math days are pretty much over for me. I don't know how chemistry works. I don't know how science works. I don't get all that stuff. And there are people who are absolutely brilliant in every one of those fields. But if they don't fear God, and if they don't comprehend holiness and their position before a righteous holy God, then they have no understanding until they understand holiness and fear the God who is holy, all of their cumulative knowledge dies with them. When they're gone, so is everything they knew. And they take none of that with them. There's no pop quiz when you get to heaven. There's no, how much do you know about thermonuclear dynamics? That's not going to happen. It's not going to be about how much you know, how clever, how wise you are. It's going to be, do you worship God? Do you fear God? Do you reverence God? And do you bless and worship and pray to the God who has given you the remarkable privilege of understanding things that the world, by its own knowledge, can't comprehend? Do you have that? Do you have faith in the Christ who died for you and fully saved you? If you have that, you can exchange that for righteousness in the courts of heaven. But all of the stuff you know, I mean, it's good stuff. I'm glad somebody knows it. I'm glad somebody knows how to work air conditioning. Apparently nobody here. But I'm glad that somebody knows how chemistry works. I'm glad electricity works. As much as I know about electricity, you flip on a switch, the light goes on. If the light doesn't go on, it's broke. That's all I know. And I'm glad somebody knows it. But that knowledge is nothing compared to the knowledge that comes from God, the understanding of the holiness of God, the recognition and the fear and the reverence of whom God is, because that is the knowledge that's going to carry you all the way into eternity. That all falls under the big heading of wisdom. Getting a sense for this? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 3.35 says, the wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. Okay, so there's your contrast. There's the wise man, and there's the fool. The wise man, things go well for him in this world. He honors God. God honors him, and in the end, he's going to be eternally saved. The fool, who has no knowledge of God, who doesn't care about the things of God, who opposes all kinds of knowledge and instruction, that one is ultimately going to be, not only in this life, but in the life to come, 
He's going to be rejected. He's going to be punished. Proverbs 10.8. The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. See the contrast? A wise man understands when God hands out commandments. And we respond to those because we have the wisdom of heart to understand this is the very word of God. We need to walk by it. We need to respond to it. But I like the fact that Solomon at this point doesn't just refer to a fool. He refers to him as a babbling fool. And again, most of them are on the internet today doing a lot of babbling. There's lots of babbling going on, but they don't know anything. They're not sharing any wisdom that matters. Proverbs 10.13, on the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found. But a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. Okay, I'm sure a lot of people are glad we don't go by that rule anymore. Or we'd be walking down the street carrying rods, and we'd say, fear God, you got any wisdom? Tell me something. And then we'd be whipping people in the streets. You fool. I'm confident we can't do that, but, but I'm with you. I'm totally with you. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found. But a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. Not only because they make bad decisions in this lifetime, so their life ends up in ruination, but ultimately they're going to end up ruined for all eternity because they didn't cherish the things of God because they don't have that wisdom. Proverbs 10.21, the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. Or Proverbs 12.15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. See the contrast? A wise man is always open to instruction. A wise man is always open to the commandments of God. A wise man takes in knowledge. But a fool thinks he's got it all figured out, babbles continuously, and he's right in his own eyes. Okay, how many folks know fools that think they're right in their own eyes? Come on, every hand in this place. Yeah. Don't you enjoy being around them? Isn't that fun? No. Please tell me more, babbling fool. By the way, I'm going to nickname several people babbling fool today. Because sometimes they sure are. I, I try to be nice. I try to write back. And, oh, thank you for your comment. I appreciate your insight or lack of it. Babbling fool. <laughs> the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. And then in Ecclesiastes also Solomon is, Solomon's wisdom is all through the Ecclesiastes. It says, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. All right, everybody turn to Proverbs 8 for a minute because we're going to read pretty much the whole thing because this is Solomon's personification of what wisdom is. He's going to speak of wisdom as if it's a person but we're going to get a great deal of insight into what 
wisdom is in the Solomonic mind. And don't forget, this is the mind that God gave wisdom that the whole world marveled at. So if he talks about wisdom, he's an expert on the topic. Proverbs 8, starting right at verse 1. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights, beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in front of the town. At the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud, saying, To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of men. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. So now you understand that prudence is the opposite of mental simplicity, and sensibility is the opposite of foolishness. That helps you to define foolishness and simplicity in Solomon's mind. If you're making good judgments, if you're prudent, then that's the opposite of being a simple one. If you're sensible, if you're gaining knowledge, then that's the opposite of being foolish. Verse 6 says, Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right, for my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteousness. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands. I find that interesting. They had to qualify that just a little bit and say that all things are straight to him who understands. To the one who understands, to the one who has God wisdom in him, to him, things make sense. He understands things. To the one who doesn't have God-given wisdom, nothing makes sense. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with wisdom. Verse 12, I, wisdom, dwell in prudence. So, okay, wisdom dwells in the ability to rightly discern, to rightly judge, to make good decisions. That's what it is to be prudent. Wisdom abides, dwells in prudence. And I find knowledge and discretion. So if you're wise, you not only gather knowledge, but also prudence, also discretion, the ability to know what to share, what not to share, how much is too much, how much is not enough, and when it's better off to just stay quiet. I, wisdom, dwell in prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. 
I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield is better than choice silver. I walk in the paths of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. And the first of his acts of old, ages ago, I was set up at the first, before the beginnings of the earth. When there was no depths, I was brought forth. When there was no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then was I beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight. Rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of men. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction, and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors, for whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself, and all that hate me love death. Okay, so that's wisdom speaking first person. Not only that wisdom was there at the, at the very beginning, at the foundations, before the foundations of the world, as God was making everything, separating oceans and dust, that wisdom was a part of all that. And that we should seek to gain wisdom. And the only place that you're going to find genuinely godly, heavenly wisdom is in the word of God. Only by God are you ever going to attain this level of understanding of the things of the world, the things of God, and how life works. Look, I was 50, which was a long time ago. <laughs> I was talking to somebody just the other day, and she, she was selling me steaks of which I was very happy, grass-fed steaks. She mentioned that she was in her middle 30s, and she said she's enjoying her 30s because the, the fellow ahead of me had mentioned how old he was. And, and she said, uh, I'm kind of enjoying my 30s. And I said, you know, it was 50 for me. When I hit 50, suddenly I felt like I understood life. It took me half a century to get there. But at 50, I finally went, hold on. I get this life thing. I understand the purpose of life. I understand what I'm, 
about and why I'm here and why I'm on the planet and what God's doing in the world. It all finally made sense to me. Well, that is the very essence of what wisdom is, to understand the things of this life, to understand interpersonal relationships, to have good discernment, to be prudent, to know what's too much and what's not enough, to have discretion, very important part of what I do, to have discretion. And all of that, according to what Solomon has written, all of that is a gift from God that he waited half a century to give me, apparently. But I'm so happy that through my knowledge of the word, my biblical worldview, and the gift of God, that this life makes sense in a senseless world. Well, that's wisdom. Proverbs 19.20 says, Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. You're going to gain instruction by listening, by listening to the word of God, by listening to good advice, by listening to wise people. There was a time, and it's certainly mentioned several times in the Old Testament, that we ought to be listening to our elders, that we ought to be listening to white-haired folk or no-haired folk, as the case may be. Because they have lived long enough to gain wisdom. They've lived long enough to know some stuff about the way the world works. But kids being kids, they think by the time they're 15, they've got everything figured out. They've got the world by the tail, and they think all of history began at their birth. But he says, listen to instruction. Pay attention to advice so that you can gain wisdom. Proverbs 21.11 says, when a scoffer is punished, the simple becomes wise. When a wise man is instructed, he gains knowledge. So the gaining of understanding, the gaining of knowledge shows that you're wise, that you can listen, that you can listen to what's being said. James is going to bring it up because he's so influenced by this. So the only reason I'm reading all this out of the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes to you is so that you get the background of James, so that you understand where he's coming from. He knows all this. His writing style is just like the wisdom literature. And so he's being very influenced by the wisdom literature. So when he brings up the concept of wisdom, it's not a random thing, and especially to his Jewish audience, it's something that they are steeped in. It's something that they understand intimately, the gaining of wisdom. So Ecclesiastes 8.1 asks, who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face will be changed. I could extrapolate on that for a while, but I've seen some hard, hard faces come to Christ and gain wisdom, and their face changes. And they're just not that hard anymore because God breaks them. Well, that's all the way back in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 9.13, I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun. And it seemed great to me, says Solomon the king. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it. 
building a great siege work against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though a poor man's wisdom might be despised and his words are not heard. So here he is expressing the value of wisdom, even wisdom from somebody that no one remembers, a poor man who saved a city. He says, I know that this actually happened. That's the value of wisdom. It's better than might. Ecclesiastes 9.17, and I'm done reading out of my notes. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. I agree entirely. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner can destroy much good. Okay, so this is the wisdom of Solomon. This is the background out of which James is writing. So when James says, we're now in the book of James, we're in James 1.5, when he says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, Sophia, they all understood both the Greco-Roman and the Hellenistic idea, the Platonic idea of wisdom, but they also understood the Old Testament concept of wisdom and that God is the source of wisdom. So he could say, if any of you is simple, if any of you is fools, if any of you, if any of you is fools, that was an intelligent statement. If any of you are fools, your lack of foolishness is going to come from God. So ask God. And then he describes the character, the nature of God. That if you ask God for wisdom, he gives to all men generously and without reproach. I like that phrase. It means if you go to God asking for wisdom the way Solomon did, if you go to God asking for greater discernment, He's not going to reproach you. He's not going to say, what are you thinking? What are you asking for my wisdom for? Who do you think you are? He's not going to put you down. He's going to give you the wisdom that you've requested of him because he gives it generously without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith. Okay, so now according to everything we know about faith, where does faith come from? Uh, God. Comes from God. What are you asking God for? Wisdom. Where's the wisdom come from? God. God. So where does this entire thing lead back to? It goes back to God. God is the source of everything. So God gives you the faith to even go to him to ask for the wisdom. But let him go and ask in faith. Without any doubting, know that God, know confidently that God, who has invited you to come talk to him because he's your loving father, he's the one sitting on the throne of grace who is waiting to hear from you, know that when you come and ask him in faith for wisdom, not only is he not going to reprove you, but he's going to respond to you. He's going to give you that. So don't doubt it. In a minute, James is going to use the phrase, don't be double-minded. 
Well, we'll look at that and, and we'll see a good example of it in just a moment. Let him ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Do we have any surfers here? Not only did he raise his hand, but it got a hey out of him. Followed by a gnarly man, tubular. Yeah. Okay, so you're out there on the ocean. You're on your board, right? Do you have any control over the waves? None. Zero control over the waves. If a great wave comes and you missed it, you didn't catch it, what can you do about that? Say goodbye and wait. You just have to wait. You have to wait in case another one comes by. James says, that's what a doubting man is like. It's just, I don't know. I don't know what's coming next. Oh, there's a good way. Oh, it's gone. Oh, it's like the surf of the ocean. You can't control the waves. You don't know when the next good wave is coming. You don't know if the wave, you don't know if the surf is just going to disappear on you. I know that from living in Southern California and going out wave surfing, thinking, here come the wave, and then the ocean will just flatten out on you. And if you listen real carefully, you can hear it laugh at you. <laughs> he says, a doubting man is like the surf of the sea, and he's driven and tossed about by the wind, every wind of doctrine, every slight of men, everything he hears, every YouTube video, everything he comes across, he doesn't stably believe anything so he'll fall for anything. Anything that comes down the pike that sounds good, he's in because he has that instability to him. He's like the sea, he's like the waves of the surf, and he's driven about like the wind, tossed around. For let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord being a double-minded man. And if you're a double-minded man, James says you are unstable in all your ways. All your ways, because you're constantly double-thinking. Let me show you a good example of that, just so you can understand this, this double-thinking concept. Go to Matthew 14. We'll just go right there. Go Matthew 14. You're all familiar with this story, but now it's going to tie in with what we're talking about in terms of faith, doubting, and double thinking. Matthew 14. We're going to start at verse 22. Right after Jesus had fed the 5,000, he sends his disciples out onto the Sea of Galilee. Starting at verse 22, and immediately he made the disciples get into a boat and go ahead of him to the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And after he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray, and when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already many stadia away from the land. It was battered by the waves for the wind was contrary. You'll notice that it does say that immediately Jesus made the disciples get in a boat and go out to sea. Do you think he knew the storm was coming? He's up in a mountain. He's praying. He knows the storm's coming. And he tells them, get in a boat. Get out there. I'm bringing a storm later. Just, just go. So they're being battered about. They're being terrorized by this storm. Verse 25 
And in the fourth watch, when is the fourth watch? Six to six, if you divide it up into four three-hour portions, what would the fourth watch be? Three to six. Be three in the morning. It's the middle of the night. It's dark. It's stormy. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. So the storm was no problem for him. He just walked on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, who else is it going to be? Peter says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm thinking if you're going to step out of the boat onto the water, you should be confident that it is him. Before you say, if it is you, what if it's not? So he steps out of the boat. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. And came to Jesus. But, verse 30, seeing the wind, he became afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, took a hold of him and said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt it's that word for doublethink. It's the word distazo in the Greek. It means to have a firm conviction about something. And then because of your circumstances or what you see, suddenly you think again. I th I'm thinking. I'm thinking so good. I'm walking on water. Regardless of what you say about Peter. Consistent personality profile all the way through the New Testament. Peter, it's easy to pick on Peter. But no matter what you think of Peter, he walked on more water than any of you have. So he had some serious faith going there. He had it. He's walking on the water. Don't think again. I've got it. I've got it. And he looked at the waves, and he looked at the sea. We're even told that seeing the wind, he became afraid. Should have just looked at Jesus like he did in the first place when he said, if it's you, bid me to come to you. Jesus says, come to me. He gets out of the boat, which required a tremendous amount of confidence. He got out of the boat during the storm at three in the morning, got out of the boat and walked on the water. Well done, you. And then what does he do? Double think. Double think again. Okay, so James has picked up that concept and said, if you ask God for wisdom, have faith that God gives wisdom abundantly to his people. He doesn't reproach people. He doesn't upbraid people. He gives generously to people who come to him asking for wisdom. And then he says, but don't double think. You know it when you read verse 5. You know God doesn't upbraid anybody who asks for wisdom. He gives it generously. I know that. I know that. And then you're going to think, but he won't for me. He probably will for other people. 
It's probably where Micah gets some insight, but he's not going to do that for me. So what have you done? You double thought. Soon as you double think, soon as you think again, soon as you look at the circumstances instead of looking at the promise, James says, well, then don't expect to get anything. You have to come in faith, in confidence that God gives generously, without reproach, and it'll be given to you. And stay there. Stay at, it'll be given to me. I'm going to have the wisdom of God. He's going to give me the wisdom I need to get through whatever this life throws at me. Whatever my circumstances are, whatever I have to get through, he's going to give me the wisdom to know how to deal with that. And then stop thinking about it. Don't double think it. Because James warns, but let him ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed to and fro by the wind. For let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. You know, Jesus said, if you had faith, if you had real faith, if you had pure faith, if you had undoubting faith, you'd do things like move mountains. And, you know, it's very common for folks to allegorize that and say, well, that just means pay your electric bill. You know, I'm, I'm moving mountains. I've got a sickness, and I'm going to get through that sickness. I moved my mountain. I think Jesus was talking about actually having a level of confidence and faith where actual mountains move. Because when he comes back and his feet touch the Mount of Olives, you know what that mountain does? It moves. He's talking about the kind of faith that moves mountains. Impossible under the physical human realm. But completely possible in the faith realm. So James picks that up and says, have faith, have confidence. Your God loves you. Your God wants you to know him. He wants you to have comprehension of him. He wants you to understand his ways. He wants you to understand his word. He wants to give you the gift of faith and wisdom that it's going to take for you to persevere all the way through this life. Know that about your father. Know that about the God who has loved you since before the foundation of the world. And then go to him confidently and ask him for the wisdom that only he can give. You get it? Yes. You got it? Okay. How many verses was that, Micah? Two or three? All right, we are, we are moving. But do you understand now the background that James was coming from? Because it just seemed kind of out of nowhere. You know, if you lack wisdom, ask God. What? Where'd that come from? What? But that's actually kind of a concluding statement off of everything that we just touched on this morning. The more that you read the Bible, Old and New Testament, the more you're going to see this concept of wisdom keep showing up. Because it does show up a lot. And it's always God who is credited with giving wisdom to his people. So that's what James is talking about. All right. Comments or questions? Let's see if your questions are wise. Yes? 
that's a lot to live up to. Um, <laughs> back in Proverbs 8, every time I've read this, it's really hard for me to not think about Jesus when he's talking about wisdom. And I was there when he, you know, basically created the earth and knowing about John 1 and, you know, in the beginning. And there's a connection between the word and knowledge and wisdom. So that's fair. I think it's fair, but I'd be careful with it because yeah. what you're assuming is that when Solomon wrote those words, he had Christ in mind. Yeah. I think the Holy Spirit could have still been working. The Holy Spirit could have been working, could have been prefiguring, yeah. but knowing that Solomon has made declarative statements prior to that chapter that God in wisdom created the, the world, and now he's extrapolating on that. I think he's kind of created the context for what he's trying to say. Uh, I do think it's fair because I do think that, you know, you do go searching for Christ in the Bible. But I'd be careful that you don't start allegorizing away Solomon's meaning. He wasn't talking about Christ specifically. Right. Yeah. He had a meaning. Let that meaning stand. And then if you want to add a Christian application Fair enough, but don't get rid of the original application. Right? Okay. Any other questions? All right, then. Say goodbye to the Internet people. Goodbye. Say goodbye like you're not boiling hot. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this week's Salvation by Grace message. We welcome your feedback and encourage you to visit our website at salvationbygrace.org. And we invite you to join us next time when we gather around the Word and study the sovereign grace of God.